0: Hey, this is Jose Galison of No Way Jose on the Liberty Movement YouTube channel. Today, my guest is Sal Mayweather, a.k.a. Sal the Agorist. Um, basically, he's known as being a meme lord. It's kind of how I introduced him, to him. Uh, and he's, he's a man of many coats uh, or whatever the hell the saying is. I seem to have a knack for, like, fucking up sayings. I've been noticing a lot of episodes. <laughs> whatever. You get the idea. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he's a... Uh, I'm going to allow Sal here in a second to give a quick intro for himself, but like a real quick one, just kind of a condensed one. Because what we're doing here today is I want to just do an episode on him. I've been doing a lot of these lately, and it, this kind of came from something Vin said, where he he was kind of talking about his whole idea of magic. And one thing he brought up, and it kind of like really clicked with me, is like we like to think that we come to positions through logic. And he says like even something, like one good example for me is, actually I have two good examples, is like, for example, my, tradi- my transition from minarchist to anarchist, and from Anarchist to Agorist were both like, they, in, a, in, a, in a sense, they're like, oh, I read a book and then now I uh, see myself this way. But in reality, like, the ad- anatomy of the state is what made me an anarchist. It was Dave Smith that, that got me to read that. So it was like the magic of him, you know, is what brought me to that. And then with Agorism, it was Pete Quinones. So there's something to that. I think, it's, I think it helps to get to know someone before you get their message. And I think that was something to that. Like, I kind of found myself identifying with them. Or, or relating to them or feeling like as nerdy as it may say, like I kind of had a relationship with them in a, in a, in a way, I know that sounds like very simpy, you know, but, <laughs> like, but, you know, I felt like there was kind of a magic of personality there and that's kind of what brought me to that. So I, I've been trying to do some of these episodes with certain people, especially people I see myself being able to have multiple episodes with. Um, I want to do these and kind of just do an episode on them and just, you know, their life's journey and stuff like that. I mean, if any of you guys have seen my Vin episode, Uh, we we did the same exact thing, and uh, yeah, if you haven't go check it out. We went completely into his like basically his whole bio from from a little kid. It was a fun episode. Uh, With that, Sal, you want to go ahead and give a quick intro for yourself, just a super condensed one, since the whole episode is an intro of you, basically. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: Um, so I'm I'm an agorist and and anarchist activist, and uh, that's sort of my whole mission in life is to promote agorism and counter economics to the best way possible. Uh, and that's, that's probably the, the shortest way I could describe it.
0: All right. Well, that's short and sweet. Can't do much better than that. <laughs> uh, with that, uh, let's, uh, let's start out with, um, we're going to do where and when you were born, like where and when were you born? We'll start out from the beginning, you know? I mean,
1: uh, I'm, I'm originally from Jersey. Uh, I grew up about 15 minutes outside of lower Manhattan and I lived there for most of my life. Um, Uh, I'm 34, 33. I'm about to be 34, and uh, I just moved to Florida a few months ago to get out to get away from uh, Fidel Murphy and Emperor Cuomo and the totalitarian martial law that they were instituting in the Northeast. So I came down here where there's no income tax, there's pretty good gun laws, if there is such a thing uh and i don't have to worry about 3d printing laws so it's sort of i'm in a much better position here it's also a much cheaper cost of living so that's basically it yeah born and raised right outside new york i grew up there and now um i'm a refugee from the northern slave states you know people used to escape the southern slave states into the north and now we escape the northern slave states into the south it's funny how he reverses you know <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I'm actually here in Florida as well. I live in the. I'm like an hour, forty five minutes, just ish away from the Tampa area from Tampa. So I'm in that general. Oh, where area. are you? Uh, Tampa area. I'm in a kind of Apollo Beach, Riverview, uh, Ruskin kind of area. I don't know if you know any of those places yet. You haven't been here long, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah,
1: no, no, I don't know. Any, I'm. I parked in St. Pete, and this is where I'm at. It's yeah. the only place I know is my local oh, area. So. Like
0: St. Pete, then yeah, I'm. I'm. Then yeah, where I, I I work in Tampa, so I'm like. Yeah, I'm like 45 minutes away from Oh, you. we're neighbors. We're neighbors, bro. <laughs> yeah. So St. Cool. that was another question I was going to get into earlier, but I guess we kind of jumped the gun. I was going to ask uh, if you kind of went rural because I live out, I mean, you kind of get outside of Tampa, you can kind of get more into the country a little bit, and that's where I'm at. I mean, not country, country. I have I have like a wilderness preserve that's like my tree line behind me, so acres and acres, and I have cool. about two acres where I'm at. But, you know, I mean, being 45 minutes outside of a major city, that's, 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 that's not bad. You know, so right,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm 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 more of like an urban guy. I've never really yeah. been in a rural setting. Like I don't really know about the country and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm not opposed to it. You know, if you if you think about it, really agorists sort of go one of two ways, right? Everyone sort of does either the rural, like like you know, homesteading, dirt in the fingernail sort of lifestyle, or they go the other route and they become like this sort of digital nomad. Uh, sort of lifestyle. And I don't I don't know, I'd, I'd almost prefer to do both. So I figure I'm young enough to sort of move around now. And when I get older, maybe I'll, you know, do the whole homesteading style, uh, agorist lifestyle. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely in the in-between. It's like, yeah, you are right. It's usually one extreme of the other, but I'm kind of not like, I mean, I have two acres. So it's not like I'm definitely not homesteading, but I, I'm in that spot where I'm kind of like in a good mix where I'm close enough to civilization and I'm like in a, in a shit hits a fan type scenario. I have enough land where I like, and I'm like against the woods. So, and I got running right, water, yeah. you know, stream behind me, all that. So, eh, that's nice, but I'm still like near civilization. It's kind of a happy medium, but I mean, it would be nice. If yeah. I I'm, not
1: sure, uh, I'm not sure if shit hits the fan that Florida's going to be too, too destroyed. I, I, I mean, I think it'll affect probably the whole world, but Florida's probably going to do better than most of the country, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've gone in a couple of these, I kind of like when all this stuff started off, I really hit the black pill really hard. But then like, honestly, the funny thing is the black pill kind of prepared me in a way because it kind of let me let me get a little bit more prepared. And now like in, in a weird way, now I'm kind of like white pilled because it's like, especially with discovering agorism, it's kind of like, you know, you learn that the people who, you know, prepare are the ones who thrive. <laughs> like,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So it's yeah, tough, yeah, definitely. You know. Cause people think it would collapse and they, and they hear words like shit hit the fan, but it's, that's a, just a simplistic way of putting it. It's like, it'll hit the fan for some people. So like, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, no I think you hit the nail on the head too. Cause the people who prepare today, those those people will be sort of the, the, the landed nobility of, of the future. You know, that, like, that will be the next generation's uh, upper class, you know? So that's why it's so important to like do things like, you know, buy uh precious metals and, and cryptocurrencies and stuff like that so
0: yeah super cool i didn't realize i assumed florida you were probably like i don't know like in the panhandle or i don't know just a million other places didn't realize you were you know basically right next door so <laughs> that's kind of cool yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah i parked here i've been thinking about setting up like a freedom cell or a bitcoin cash meetup mm-hmm. or something like that so if i do I'll, I'll you know keep in touch maybe you can help me out or something find yeah, some for people sure. in we have, area.
0: yeah we uh we've had i think one meeting we did uh uh, it's cause I mean, this is part of the Liberty movement YouTube channel. I think you're in that, in the group, we had the Liberty movement. We kind of had more steam at the beginning. We're still trying to do it like during the, 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 like the lockdown, that's kind of everybody was on social media. So we got a, got a good headwind there. And we, uh, one of the only, we have a few chapters set up and one of the chapters set up was, uh, the Florida, we have the Florida chapter and then we have sub chapters, the Tampa, cha- uh, sub chapter. And we've already, we already had one meetup, we hung out, had some beers and stuff. And so that was fun. So cool. if we ever do that again, I'll, I'll definitely let you know. So that'd be cool. Absolutely. To, yeah, you know. definitely. Yeah, For sure. I mean, it was just a get together. But that's kind of the idea of the Liberty Movement it was like, the whole idea is to be cultural and non political. So like and, like, and a lot of people like freak out, like, what does that even mean? Because everybody, wants to, everybody <laughs> wants to engage in some sort of, you know, action. And the only action they know is political generally. So it's like, and we try to take a neutral stance where it's like, I mean, I have my own opinions, but where it's like, if you want to do that, whatever. But, like, I mean, as, as as the movement, as a group, we kind of take, like, that neutral stance. But it's like, we're kind of like, we're more just trying to be like, hey, you know, like, even simple stuff like, you know, having, like, get-togethers, like, drinking beers and stuff like that. I mean, honestly, like, not to get political, that does far more than da- damn near any political thing you're ever going to do is. So,
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, like, they said the American Revolution was started in pubs and taverns, yeah. right? So
0: yeah so maybe, uh, maybe
1: the next one will as well
0: yeah so that's cool uh i'll definitely uh yeah we already have shirts too like we already got a merch so i'll have to send you one we uh we no took shit. a yeah. the florida flag and kind of went a little subversive with it and then we kind of put the and cap thing behind it so it's kind of like over like so there's shirts and everything he's got tank tops t-shirts
1: very cool very yeah. cool <laughs> i'll
0: show you awesome. you'll probably do yeah. it yeah uh, yeah, I mean,
1: absolutely.
0: It's funny. A lot of people, when we started doing flags, because that's kind of what we did for a lot of chapters, we did flags, and a lot of people were kind of like, "Why would you do that?" Because that's like status. But it's like, well, no, you're kind of like subverting the status aspect of it, kind of. I don't know.
1: <laughs> right, right. It's just a piece of cloth. It is whatever you make it, right?
0: Yeah. So, all right, to go back to where we were at, I want to know your probably your earliest memories from childhood, because like one thing I brought up with Van is like, for me, I think that can like mean a lot. For some people, it doesn't mean a lot. For some people, it does. Like, told Van. I have no problem going over it. Cause I've been, been a long time. Like one of some of my earliest memories is my mother getting beaten as a child. So like that affected me a lot growing up. And so a lot of times people's earliest memories are stuff that kind of form them as a human being. So like me, mm-hmm. like I have two daughters, a wife, I'm kind of, you know, so I've always taken the protector role very seriously as a result of that, you know? So yeah. So I'll, I'll stop rambling and let you go on now.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, you know, it's funny you say it too, because it's interesting. One of the, you know, I was born in, what, 87, so it was, I, I remember right outside my window, we had, like, this home heating oil tank, uh, and I can remember, this, this was, like, Gulf War One? this was Bush Sr. at the time, I can remember thinking, I was, like, you know, what, three, four years old, something like that, I can remember thinking, like, Saddam Hussein and George Bush are going to meet up, and they are going to have, like, a big fight, because Saddam Hussein wants to come take the oil in this tank. And I can remember thinking, like, like, that was what that was what they were going to do. And it's funny because, you know, you, you know, you grew up and you learn that that's not the way it works. But eventually, here I am, 34 years later, and I'm like, well, that is the way it, it should work, right? <laughs> Saddam Hussein and George Bush should meet in a field and fight each other instead of sending other people's children to go do it for them. They should go fight in a field. So it's ironic my, my three or four year old self was more keen on foreign policy than most u.s diplomats and you know members of the state uh, state department so uh that was one of the first really memories that i can think of in terms of like that, that really shaped me like politically i also remember like asking my parents about abortion and stuff like that i was sort of like wow they let people do that like that's sort of crazy and you know my, my opinions on abortion of you know this was you know i was like you know, five years old, I've been it against it and for against it and stuff like that. So, but those are just a couple of the main, uh, you know, things I can think of that come to the top of my head.
0: It's funny. It's like, cause it, it kind of does hold true that it is like kind of formed you. Cause as silly as that, that anecdote was, it you could kind of see how that formed you as an adult. It's like, I mean, obviously right, mine, right. Was a bit darker than yours, but you know, whatever, same, same effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right, so tell me about young, young Sal, little Sal. Like probably like you know, pre-high school, pre-middle school. What, what, what was what was life like for you then?
1: I, you know, I honestly I was always like a like a super nerd. I was like really like into politics and philosophy, and like it sounds crazy, but I was nice. doing like Plato and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. It was crazy, and it's sort of that is really probably what shaped my me the most was like that whole like I went through this whole like reading Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and like all these different philosophers like heavily for like two or three years at a very young age. And that really gave me like an appreciation for logic, right? That's what really let me see the power of logic. And then I went to college and I took classes in logic and I studied under uh, some really well-known logicians and I sort of was able to hone my skills. And I think that's sort of what helped me um, Identify agorism as being so powerful because it was the logic. It is the logical consistency of agorism that makes it so powerful. That's what gives counter economics its strength. Is the logical consistency, and I think a lot of that in my formative years helped me sort of spot it when I when I saw it later on when I saw it in the wild. You know.
0: Yeah, that's that's funny. I, I'm a little bit jealous there because I I wish I had kind of gotten that base of like logic because I didn't think. I don't think I really got well trained in logic until I was like a young adult because it was it was honestly probably more my religious like I went from you know it was kind of a big deal for me going from being religious to being what I consider an atheist and a lot of people are in the weeds I'm an agnostic atheist I don't assert that there is no God I just claim I don't know and that seems to be the only logical position for me personally. But uh, anyways, like going through that and exploring that, that is kind of, because like, I would really dive deep in that. Because even when I went first, I went, went that way, my family would always like kind of like, you know, be like, well, what about this or what about that? And so like, well, in a sense, like, I kind of didn't really care what they had to say. It was like really irritating that it would always be framed like I was being an idiot. So I kind of had to go really deep and like learn the logic of a lot of that stuff and go into all that. And like going down that route really taught me about like fallacies and like, how proper logic works, and it was just kind of like sad that like I didn't learn that until I was a young adult. So it's like it, I don't know. It's just one of those things that it's like this should be fundamental to to uh, education. And I was well, a nerd I, too. I read a ton. I just didn't ever. I was smart, but I what didn't have that base of logic, you know. I I,
1: I, th- I think that that's part of the plan, though. I think mm-hmm. that they don't want um, kids to learn logic, like you're not supposed to be 12 years old and reading Plato. Like They don't want that, that's not good for them, right? Because then you will spot the logical consistency of agorism and you'll end up dedicating your life to subverting the state like me. So that's not what they want. Uh, They want people who can't see these things. You you, You would never accept a scientific theory that isn't logically consistent. So why would you accept a political or economic theory that's logically inconsistent? But that's what so many people, millions and hundreds of millions of Americans do it every day precisely because they're so poorly trained in logic they're so ignorant of uh, formal and informal logic you know fallacies and all this stuff that you were talking about and so on so i think that has a lot to do with it it
0: is it's it's funny too because you can actually still be smart but like i said because like i was kind of a nerd too at a young age i i was like voracious reader I just read all the time all i did was read but i didn't have that like i just more just i never really had that base of logic so like you can be smart but not understand basic logic and and the funny thing is, ironically, even in the atheist community, because I kind of like was sort of dabbled in that community. A lot of people have the same exact issue. They have all the logical like all, know all the, the proper logical stuff. And they're really smart, a lot of them. But it, they fall into the same trap of like statism. And it's like they just replace one God for another essentially kind of deal. <laughs> you know, like that's a common trope of atheism. And it's true.
1: Exactly. You know? That's exactly what they're doing. And, you know instead of some fictional gods who they can at least pretend is benevolent, they, you know, they don't now. they have to like, you know, pretend he's benevolent and they know it's in their face, how, how evil and terrible they are. So.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, let's move on.
0: Oh, sorry. I mean to cut you off. Um, let's move on to, uh, let's do like middle school, high school age. Like what, what were we looking at with Sal there?
1: Um, So at this point I'm like, I'm, I'm sort of like a troublemaker at this point. I'm kind of getting into trouble now and I'm sort of like, uh, running in having run-ins with authority like different like school teachers and cops and stuff like that and um it's i'm basically rebelling at this point
0: specifically what age i'm just curious because like for me i didn't hit that spot until i was like 16 i mean i did a little like little childhood silliness around like you know like eighth grade but then i like got went real off the rails and drugs and all the sex and all that craziness around like 17 so i'm just kind of curious it's always fun to hear like where people kind of went off the rails in that way (laughs)
1: Um, I'd say, like, probably like uh, 16, 17, 18, around there. Yeah. Probably, probably about that age. I mean, I wasn't too crazy. You know, I I was just, you know, selling weed and, you know, just staying out late partying and shit like that. Not reading Plato and Socrates and <laughs> Aristotle.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Did, did you find that being the spot where you kind of dropped off in your education as well? Because that's kind of like where I dropped off. Because, like I said, I was a nerd as a kid kind of got really into reading. And I kind of also like got and fell into like the jock thing where I kind of was big into sports in high school. And so then it was like kind of not cool to be smart in a way, you know, and like, or be the the one who reads all the time. And the kind of same thing I had Mark Claire on yesterday it was the same thing with comics where it was like, I kind of like put that to the side. And it's one of those things you get older, you kind of stop fucking caring what people think. So like, I don't Yeah. Know.
1: I mean, in a certain sense, but at the same time, like I was, I've always read like, I'll, I've always been a nerd. I don't care. Like they can, you know, that's just the way I've always been. Uh, and other than that, um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's never really been, a, a, like I've never really cared what other people have to think or say or do. So I've always just kind of gone my own route and, uh, reading is always like fundamental. That's sort of, to me, like, that's like, that's that's, that's sort of like, uh, one of the main components of my life. Like people like enjoy music or art and stuff. And I'm like a huge bookworm. So that's sort of like, uh, Oh, I would never give that up, you know?
0: Yeah, I definitely, I regret big time. That's probably one of my biggest regrets is I didn't keep reading. And it wasn't entirely that I care what people think. A lot of it, too, was, like, I got really caught up in, like, drugs and chicks and, you know, trying to get ass and all that. So I was just more like my time was elsewhere. You know, if I had spare time, I was, you know, having fun.
1: That too, but then I would go home and I would be, like, reading.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I wish I did that. (laughs) (laughs) that. (laughs) For sure. Right. Because like, like I said, I, I didn't get back into reading until – because I probably was reading up until like hardcore until like 12, 13, 14 kind of stopped. And it wasn't even until my early 20s that I really got back into it. And it's like – it's such a dead spot where it's like, God, it was just such a fucking waste. You know, it's like I wasn't making anything of myself.
1: <laughs> you know, it's really true what they say. I think it was Michael Malice who said public school prison. And like that's sort of – that was very true in my in my experience. Like I was – absolutely miserable in public school and my goal every day was to make the principal's life as much of a living hell as i possibly could and i think like I, I i i wasn't even supposed to graduate i think that they just kind of they didn't want to put up with me anymore so like they just pushed me out the door like my like, you know you need a certain gpa or whatever it was and i was like you know 0. 0.86 or something i just stopped going to class at a certain point but then i got to college and you know you can study things you like so i I was a, a political science major, and I was always interested in politics, and that's when I went from like, you know, 0. 0.86 GPA in public high school to like a 4.0 at like a private uh, university, so it just goes to show you the difference, you know, when, you, when you're you passionate about something versus when you're a prisoner of the state.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's another thing. I ended up going to college, but I tanked hardcore because I think I, I think I was still more into that, like, you know, the the American dogma of like, I'm just supposed to like do what it's expected of me to some extent. Cause I went to just do like some generic, I, I don't remember. I, I think I went to be like a biology major, but it wasn't which I kind of mildly enjoyed. Like looking back, like all the things that like I would have been interested in are the kind of stuff that like, I feel like people would be like, you're wasting your time. Cause I, I would have definitely enjoyed, you know, doing that. But I like, I just, in the end I am just wasting a semester. I just blew it, you know, I just friggin wasn't a drunken uh, drug super for like, you know, a semester. And then I was just like, Luckily, I, I did well in high school, so I had a uh, all like scholarships. So it was like, you know, I didn't really actually have to pay for it. But I was like, if I kept going, I lost I lost all my scholarships. So I was like, I'm gonna have to pay for it. So it's like, nah, I'm gone.
1: Enough's enough. As soon as they send that bill, we'll see you later.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, you know, I guess that was a fun, fun little free ride. <laughs> but uh, I'm out. Yeah, but yeah, no, like I definitely wish I had just like I'd gone that route. You know. But, well, well, that's
1: sort of what, um, that that's really not to like, jump the gun here, but that's sort of what really, uh, it, it really helped me sort of in the end in the long run, because when I went to like college and like, I sort of focused on political science and then I realized that by the time I, I got my you know, graduate degree or my master's degree that, you know, I have all these degrees in political science now, and I've become a Rothbardian now. And I, I realized I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I don't want to take some job as a lobbyist or go work for some, as a consultant for some congressman or somebody that I think should be in prison. So uh, that's why I really decided to go the other route and start a podcast and a blog and, uh, you know, sort of be active on social media. I figured, you know, if I can't make a living doing uh, what I'm passionate about the traditional route, well then I'll I'll sort of pave my own route. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what I'm sort of doing uh, now.
0: Yeah. It's funny too. I was just thinking while you're talking that I feel like the normal thing you're, you're like expected to go certain routes in life and like everyone has their things they really do like, you know, or are interested in a lot of times those are put down as like, you know, that's like the dumb thing. Don't do that. There's no future there. But in a weird way, I feel like I've become more educated now as an adult, just reading things I enjoy and, you know, going down those routes than the people who may have gone down the traditional, like what was expected of them, you know, say they went and got a nursing degree when they didn't really want to. And yeah, maybe they have a, they have a piece of paper behind their name, but it's like, it wasn't something they were passionate about. So it's like, they didn't really learn anything. It's like, whereas me, I'm in my, my spare time. I'm reading, like, I'm reading, like, I don't know, aggro's primer or, or something like that. You know, like this is stuff that I find to be fun. And so I'm like, these things are sticking more with me than they are with other people, you know? So, I think it's something well, that's the there whole that. thing. If you're like, yeah,
1: no, if you're, if you're, if you like something and you're passionate about it, and you love it, like you'll pick it up quickly. But if you, if it's sort of like a drudge and you have to work at it, then, you know, it's sort of how I felt in high school versus how I felt in college, right? Like I had to push myself through high school. I, I barely did. But, but like college, I enjoyed reading those books. I was thankful when I got my syllabus because, uh, you know, here, you have these like smart people telling you what books to read. If you want to learn about politics, and I did, so it, it, you know, sometimes like I feel like today people go to school for that piece of paper for that for that degree, but like I don't know, I, I, that wasn't me. I, I really went to school for like the old school reason of getting an education, you know, and that sounds you know, sort of cliche, but
0: yeah. Hey, just two questions that I kind of want to to kind of maybe explain where you are at right now. Uh, where, what would you consider yourself at this time or at that time, you know, around that time of like, uh, I don't know, like early college, would you, and and also did, were you just kind of always a libertarian or, one of the, or are you one of those folks who kind of, you know, cause most people have their story of like came from the left or came from the right or whatever, you know, I mean, I think the political compass is broken, but you know, colloquially speaking. So. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Um, I was always like this sort of constitutionalist sort of guy. And then, uh, I, didn't really, I was always libertarian, but I just didn't know it. And then Ron Paul came around. I can remember watching the debates and, like, all of the people on stage at the Republican debates that I was supposed to be, you know, the the standard candidates from the who, who exhibited the acceptable range of opinion. They all looked like lunatics to me. And the only one who really made any sense was Ron Paul. And that was the guy who I was supposed to think was crazy. So that really touched something off in my head. I was like, that's sort of odd. Let me look into this guy a little bit more. And I sort of, I started Googling and next thing I know, I found his economic advisors were uh, Peter Schiff and Walter Block. And because I was always active in, in political science, I knew that the libertarians were very like, they, they had their stuff down in terms of economics. So I wanted to know who Ron Paul's economic advisors were. And then I saw uh, the Peter Schiff was right videos and I saw Walter Block explaining these concepts in like an academic format in like on YouTube. And it sort of all just clicked for me. It was all it was it was like you know going back to that logical consistency. I was like, wow, this is much more consistent than anything else I've come across yet. And that's sort of that's how I moved from constitutionalist to like uh, you know libertarian party minarchist, sort of you know small government kind of guy like Justin Amash kind of dude. And like that that that's where I was at about two thousand and. I don't know if this was. I guess this was 2010, 11, 12, probably around there.
0: So, uh, would you say you came from? I mean, you said you're a constitutionalist, and I feel like a lot of constitutionalists, especially around that time. I'm, I'm only, I'm 29. I'm like four years younger than you. So, we're probably pr- pretty much come from a lot of places. I'm actually originally from Maine as well. So, um, we're both from originally from New England. I mean, I, I was a country boy because Maine's country. But I digress point i'm getting at is uh i kind of came from like the right in a sense and my family was like kind of in between neocon and constitutionalist and it's sounding like you were kind of there as well like they weren't full-on ne- neocons they weren't full-on constitutionalists they were kind of that kind of generic you know like what you you know the generic conservative essentially where they're kind of falling between somewhere would that yeah, be yeah. Right yeah. you or am i off no like you're no up, that's, that's oh, you're me, it. I meant. yeah 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 no
1: that's pretty accurate um You know, by and large, they were. my family was all uh, mostly Republicans. My father's side was all Democrats. My mother's side was all Republicans. My immediate family were, like, much more conservative. I was, um, like I said, I was always, like, a constitutionalist. And, like, that always led me to support right-wing candidates. Um, And then I remember when George Bush did the whole No Child Left Behind thing, I was like, you know what? there's just sort of a light bulb went off. I was like, wow, these guys are not small government people. So there's something up here, right? When No Child Left Behind hit, I was like, "My, I, I've wanted to get rid of the Department of Education at this point, right? That was part of the Republican Party's platform throughout the 90s was to abolish the DOE. Nowadays, they, they, they're funding the DOE. They're giving them increases in funding. But at the time, they, it was part of the platform was that they opposed the DOE. And all of a sudden, you have George Bush come and reverse course and just blow it out of proportion and give it this huge budget and expand its powers. And I really felt betrayed. And that's what sort of led me to uh, look for alternatives. And then, of course, there was a 2008 financial crisis and this sort of confluence of events that sort of led me to spot Ron Paul at the debates. And I was like, that guy is actually making a lot of sense, you know. Like I'm supposed to think he's crazy, but he's making a lot of frigging sense. And that's, that's when, I, like I said, that's when I started researching. it.
0: Okay, cool. I was just kind of trying to figure out kind of where you came from. Cause it seemed like, I don't, also, I, all right, I'll back up a little bit. I kind of want to know a little bit about your parents specifically. Cause they seem, it seemed like our family are very similar and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to trash my mom. Not that she even watches this, but, or my, or my, my dad either. But they were kind of generic, you know, conservatives. And I did, I guess I feel like growing up, I kind of felt like I had a certain path to go down to. But it seems like your family is very different, but yet they're very similar the same way. Were they just more like a free, you know, do whatever you want kind of deal? Or, you know, because it seemed like you were kind of just a, or maybe you were just that much of a free spirit. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of curious yeah, was, how your parents you know, were essentially.
1: My, my, my parents were like, you know, uh, sort of blue blooded, uh, you know, flag-waving Americans, sort of, you know, the normal sort of run-of-the-mill sort of statists, probably more conservative than anything, but, you know, they could, they would go both ways when when they had to. Um, I think they were both registered members of the Republican Party. Now my father's like a diehard Republican and so is my mother, but uh, at the time they were a little bit more liberal. I was always like, a, like a, I would go my own way. Like I, I had no problem, you know, disagreeing with anybody at any time. But I just happened to be, like I said, small government, and the Republicans at the time, at least they were portraying themselves as the party of small government. You know, back in the 90s, Newt Gingrich got, you know, a balanced budget passed. Like, that's unheard of today. Congress would never do something like this. So, like, there was still, like, life, there was still a little, there was still a pulse left of the small government uh, wing of politics, I guess, at that point. But it was, you know, obviously it was dying, and now it's completely dead. So, um, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, i was just trying to get a feel of what your family's like because our family sound very similar. I mean, mine probably a little bit more rural than yours were because you were more in like a city uh, type thing. I'm assuming, uh, and yeah, so let's move on and let's do like a uh, okay, we we're at like college. Let's uh let's see what your if you're a constitutionalist at this time. Uh, let, let's walk, walk me through because I mean you you shit you have like a shitload of degrees, don't you? But I'm assuming at some point you stopped going to university. You weren't doing university life anymore, right? You <laughs> yeah, were. Kind of right. Over- I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I was going to um, Seton Hall, and in like two thousand and seven, eight, something like that. And this is when I started to become like more libertarianish and like more stated libertarian. And I was, you know, go like I said, I was becoming like a small government sort of libertarian. I was going to party meetings and stuff like that, and uh, which was an absolute disaster. And that helped me see later on what a joke the Libertarian Party is, because uh, I saw it from the inside out and uh right about at this time i'm like i'm listening to the tom Woods show a lot at this point and I, i never really wanted to be um one of these crazy anarchists right i didn't want to be one of these wacky anarchists because who's going to take you seriously if you're an anarchist right that's crazy and uh I was a big history nerd. Like, I'm still, I still am. I've always been a big history like sort of guy. Like, I can read like a million history books in a week. I just I can't get enough of it. And Tom Woods, uh, who's a historian, for any of the listeners out there who are not unfamiliar with him, you, you should familiarize yourself with him because the man is absolutely brilliant. And he's got probably the best damn podcast that I can think of. And uh, one day he's talking about this great historian that he knows of named Ralph Rako. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, if it's good enough for Woods, it's good enough for me. I go home and I look up some Ralph Rako books and I'm starting to watch some Ralph Rako YouTube lectures. And he's a history professor and whatnot. And this guy is brilliant. And he's got this sort of like grandfatherly vibe to him. Like, I, I don't know. I just like really connected with him. I, I, I got the impression, like, clearly this man is not wacky, right? This guy's is clearly not crazy. He's a normal sort of dude that you could see, you know, at, at your Thanksgiving dinner table. So, and he's an anarchist. So that really gave me the confidence to accept the the term anarchist. And he was friends with uh, Murray Rothbard and Leonard Legio. That's why I was like, all right, you know, let me check out those guys too. And once I saw, uh, you know, my first Rothbard lecture, then it was all over. And then at that point, you know, burn it down. You know, once you see Rothbard, it's a whole different. Your perception of the world is never the same.
0: Was that your moment? Did you, the first lecture when you decided because like i said earlier my moment was reading anatomy of the state that was when i was like i'm an anarchist because i was a fence sitter for a long time on well, the minarchy anarchy thing like a long long time and i listened to dave smith for like ever like because that's kind of like where i got a lot of that education like more anarchic and cap education and it was wasn't he yeah. always you know, going on about anatomy of the state and i finally read it and i probably listened to dave for like probably at least a couple years before i finally did and then once i read Anatomy of State. I mean, listening, it's funny, listening to Dave for like years, didn't do it, but like just reading oh, yeah. Anatomy State. I was like, yep. <laughs>
1: yeah. Rothbard. That, that that's, yeah. The, that's why Rothbard is so powerful. That's why that's one of the first books I recommend to people is Anatomy of the State. But uh, no, actually, I, I can I watched these Reiko lectures and Leonard Legio's lectures and uh, Rothbard lectures, and I still wasn't I was still sort of like not fully there. And then I, this one um, particular lecture that Rothbard gave, I think it's called, um, you can look it up on YouTube, it's called like, How I Became a Libertarian or something like that. And he tells the story of, you know, I'm sure you're familiar, he, he used to have all these brilliant minds in his living room to, to, to discuss philosophy until like, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning, it would be him and Walter Block and... You know, all these brilliant folks, uh, these names that we all know, they would be discussing these ideas in his living room late at night. And uh, he had these liberals, these, these leftists there one night to discuss and philosophize with him. And he said to him, the liberals said to him, well, you know, Murray, uh, you know, why not privatize the police? And this is when murray was a minarchist and he said to them oh you know that's crazy you can't do that and he gave them some run-of-the-mill answer and he started thinking to himself he said later on when they went home it, it sort of hit me hey you know they're right they they were right they had a point i was being logically inconsistent and uh Rothbard said from that point on i was an anarchist and i thought to myself you know what i i, I can't uh think of any reason why the police shouldn't be privatized so I also must be an anarchist then, you know? And that's when I sort of really came into my own. That's when I sort of like accepted everything and like really developed full force into like full-on Agor or or full-on anarchism at this point. I wasn't an Agorist yet. I was just a pure NCAP Rothbardian.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like uh, like I said, it was Anatomy of State for me, but it's like the the what did it was because Anatomy of State just pokes so many holes because everyone has this idea like Minarchist is like you know like oh if we just go back to the Constitution or whatever and it's like you know it's kind of and at the end of I always boil Anatomy of State you know down to like you know kind of almost in a way kind of you know the the meme where it's like you know you have the uppercase and lowercase letters kind of saying it's stupid like oh if we just had You know, better people and that did better things, but but you don't. So it's like, you know, like it kind of points out how the whole system is just flawed. Like even the most perfect system that you possibly can envision is just flawed. Like, and the end of the day, you're just like you're. It's a systemic problem, and it's like you can't just like. Just be like well if better people are there but it's like but the system is set up for better people to not be there
1: <laughs> any uh, any sort of writing from rothbard uh carries a punch to it but anatomy of the state is, is is a knockout punch that's certainly probably his most powerful piece of writing i think
0: yeah it definitely did it for me because it was like like i said yeah uh, but i was on the fence so i was like i guess in a sense too is also i was just looking for that like i don't know it was like logically everything was making sense but like some part of my brain, which is like, no, no, you can't, like, because I guess it's just just that, like, I don't know, the fucking the brainwashing, essentially, of like the you know, American is, yeah, life,
1: exactly. <laughs> it, it, and Tom Woods said it best. He said that the state's greatest victory was um, convincing people to fear the term anarchy and love the term government, and that's sort of the sort of battle that I was stuck in. That's sort of what was holding me back. And it sounds like you know you were sort of dealing with something similar.
0: Yeah, and it's like you almost like you just it's more of a letting go thing. Cause you're just like, it's like, I logically completely understand why yeah. and it's like it's I can't even provide really a good reason. It's just that it's like, well, you just, you just can't.
1: <laughs> it's as simple as this really. If you think about it, um, if you, if, if, you know, if you can't answer the question, the following question, then you're an anarchist. What goods or services does the state provide us with, which the market is unable to provide at both a cheaper cost and a higher quality? Right. If the answer is nothing, then you had then you're an anarchist. If you yeah. think there is something, if you think that there is something that the state can provide at a cheaper cost and a higher quality, then you're an economic illiterate. That's that, That's the difference.
0: Yeah. Okay. Where were we at? We kind of we kind of went off a tangent there, but I mean, I enjoyed it. Obviously, we were at okay. you uh, kind of your you probably like what like early twenties. So let's uh, let's move to like kind of I guess more closer where we are now like mid twenties, late twenties. Kind of where where were you we at around that time? I mean, at that time, I'm assuming so, you're kind of getting established doing your, doing your fucking thing, you know? Yeah, so about I, I, around
1: 2015, I found um, – I, I was familiar with agorism before this, but in around 2015, 2014, I think it was actually. I went to uh, Porkfest in New Hampshire. So that was about six years ago, almost seven years ago. Uh, I went to Porkfest in New Hampshire, and this was like a really uh, formative, like – experience for me because I saw, you know, I I had Bitcoin at this time and Bitcoin was obviously much cheaper and I I had a bunch of Bitcoin, but for the first time I saw people trading Bitcoin for goods and services at Porkfest for food you were paying in cryptocurrency or silver coins. Um, I attended seminars on 3D printing and aquaponics. It's where I learned about 3D printing for the first time. So really this is where I learned how to live as an anarchist rather than just think like an anarchist. So that was a real life changing moment for me. And that really led me to get into aquaponics and cryptocurrencies and precious metals and 3d printing. And that sort of turned me into what I am now. Right. And then shortly after that, um, I found, uh, Sam Konkin and agorism and I was, uh, just blown, blown away by the extreme logical consistency. Like it was sort of like levels of astonishment. Like when I found Ron Paul, I was like, wow, this guy is much more consistent than the Republican party. And then I found, um, you know, uh, Rothbard. And I'm like, wow, that guy is so much more consistent than the small L libertarians, you know? And then I found Konkin and I was like, whoa, this guy he's he has it and he has it nailed down like this is the this is the picasso this is the masterpiece like we found like the holy grail of uh of the social sciences right you know the other way to look at it is like i went to school for, for political science i had a bachelor's degree i had a master's degree and finally like like you you see the theory like you find the theory that like does it for you you know it's almost like when stephen hawking found like the theory of black hole right it's like that was what it was like for like for me when i like first read Konkin. and that's when i knew like look at like like i said i was already familiar with 3d printing and cryptocurrencies that's when Konkin sort of tied it all together for me it showed me the power of it all and uh here we are today
0: yeah, it's funny. I, it's funny. We're like literally on the same path. It was Ron Paul, Mothbard and, and Konkin that were like my, you know, like those were my sweethearts, you know, like those are the ones who had those special moments, you know, I mean, honestly, be and and Mothbard, I mean, yeah, and, and Rothbard was probably the most impactful because I think something about that minergist to Anarchist shift is kind of like, uh, you know, in a, in a weird way, the most important. And then it seemed like that like Agarism one was almost like a, a fine tuning my direction in a sense you know yeah
1: yeah yeah. i agree i agree with that i think that's a good way of putting it too because uh you know there's a big you know when you go from minarchist to anarchist you're going from socialist to capitalist when you go from ancap to agorist you're going from capitalist to uh high functioning capitalist right like uh, that's basically the difference
0: yeah that consistent capitalist yeah in the true true sense yeah yeah so, all right. So we're you're, we're at that, that that point about like mid to late twenties. So let's get to where you're at now. What 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 is what is a Sal doing these days? What 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 projects are you working on? Well,
1: now, um, geez. Well, I, I started a uh, agoristics, um, which is really mainly designed to help spread the mass adoption of cryptocurrencies. And we just the point is we just sort of we're trying to. Uh, do any, we're, we'll undertake any project that we think can help spread cryptocurrencies, but the point is to sort of make it easier for people to buy and sell things, and normal goods and services. So one project we have is uh, 3D Printer Go Burr, where we're selling 3D printers and stuff for cryptocurrency, and it sort of helps people uh, work around the sort of KYC payment platforms that they would normally use. So that's really taking up a lot of my time. I do a lot of blogging and uh, affiliate marketing, content marketing, um, I'm pretty active on social media and Twitter. I run a meme page, the Agorist. I run another meme page on Facebook when, they're, when I'm not banned or in Facebook jail <laughs> called uh, Print Guns Not Money. I host the Agora podcast <clears throat> about uh, Agorist theory and counter-economics. I also co-host uh, Unloose the Goose with a bunch of great agorists every Wednesday. I missed today, actually. I missed it a little bit earlier, so they're <laughs> gonna be mad at me when they see me on this show. Uh, <laughs> I know I was but, thinking that uh, <laughs> earlier
0: <laughs> when I was watching <laughs> it. <laughs> and,
1: um, so uh, I'm staying busy, that's for sure. And I'm, I'm we're at, at agorists. We're always expanding, and we're starting new companies. And not all of them succeed, but not all of them fail. Some are more successful than others. So. We're always, uh, I'm I'm always staying busy. I do a lot of blogging, too, for Agurus Nexus, NewLibertarian.io, and also at 3D Printer Go Burr, we have a blog about 3D printing. So uh, I don't have really have enough time in the day to do everything that I need to do. Uh, so I, I'm certainly staying busy, and I'm really thankful and blessed because, you know, one of the things I said to Pete Canones recently when we were chatting was like, you know, Sam's dream was always to make a living as uh, look at, uh, as, an, as an agorist, as a counter-economist. Now, if you look at how many people are actually doing it, it's really wild, right? Like, people are making full-time incomes, like myself and Jack Spierko and Pete Canonas and Vin Armani, and like, all these folks are, are are doing this in a full-time basis, and it's incredible to see how far agorism has come in the last 15 years. It just blows my mind. Uh it's just a shame that sam wasn't around to see it you know neil would neil was around to see the end of it the you know it's just he died a, a couple of years ago so he did see a little bit of it which makes me happy but man it's incredible how far we've come and i think it's incredible how far we're going to be in another 15 years
0: yeah it is cool cuz it's like that's one thing i've thought about a few times where it's like i mean Konkin is like kind of newer cuz i don't remember when he wrote nlm it was kind of what was it like late 80s early 90s something like that
1: yeah you know,
0: you on that time but like it's like i think a lot i mean i'm not sure where he died either do you remember when he died uh, just real quick
1: 2004 uh sam died
0: so like 2004 it's kind of like yes it feels like he's a newer philosopher or whatever you want to call him and he kind of was but at the same time he still was gone before we really hit those things that would really be like this is super agoric or whatever you want to call it you know like I Mean there's some who yeah. are like the beating sages, but like, you know, between C setting, Bitcoin, quickly, 3D printers, all that, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's incredible how quickly he has um sort of been elevated into like with the high ranking philosophers, like like, you know, people tell you to study Rothbard and Proudhon and uh you know, Marx and you want to read all these lunatics and stuff like that for better or worse. And Conkin's right up there with that with all of them. And of course, in my mind, he's you know the smartest of all of them. He, he was under, got it right, but you know, I, I think he, it's well-deserved the place that he's earned for himself so quickly, you know?
0: Yeah. And one thing you brought up before that I thought was kind of smart, you know, what I've told a lot of people when it comes to conk I don't ever really suggest conk. this is actually something that I got from you from, I don't remember what it was like one of your podcasts or what I don't ever suggest him unless it's somebody who's already like an ANCAP. It's kind of like, cause it's kind of the whole idea of the remnant. And I cons- consider like conkin being people who are the remnant of the remnant. If you're one of them, then, like, you should probably read Konkin. And it's like – like, it's you need to be already, yeah. like, a hardcore ANCAP before you're ready to embrace the ideas of Konkin in my eyes. And that's some, from something I heard you say in one of your podcasts before, and it really clicked. I was like, yeah, you're totally fucking right. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're a normal uh, Libertarian Party member. You're not going to get somebody from the you know, Republican Liberty Caucus to all of a sudden support uh, – you know, so taking down the Federal Reserve with you know sound money alternatives—they're not going to—they're not going to do that. They want to—they want to subsist the Federal Reserve so they can pay for their warfare state. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, and I think I, Sam said that he—he he said that you know, why waste your time and effort trying to convince somebody who's not going to—you're uh, just you know—who clearly isn't there yet. Focus on people, you know, the more radical end caps. The ones who are almost there—they're one step away from agorism—and sort of show them the door. You can't make a a horse walk through the door, but you can show show it to them, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's also too—it's always funny. Like, if you do try to tell these ideas, which I've kind of felt victim to, like, you know, like people are just generic Republicans or or Democrats. They're just gonna be like, "What? You want me to sell blow to to undermine the state?" Like, no, 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 no—that's not what I'm saying.
1: I know. Well, that's the other thing too that we combat is that we have that sort of. Uh, they think that we're sort of like street urchins, I guess. Which, in a sense, they're not completely incorrect, right? There, there is certain certainly that element of agorism, but that's not. It's 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 based in, in sound philosophy and theory, and I think that's the part that a lot of people miss.
0: Yeah. No. I, all right. Well, we're probably at a good point to go ahead and do plugs and stuff. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, I know you kind of promised one of your buddies you, you wanted to go you, – you were going to be hanging out here soon, so and we're right about that time, and we're kind of like right at the perfect spot in the conversation, although I am having fun with this, and I'd like to keep going. But we'll we'll go ahead and do that here. We're at the perfect spot anyways. So uh you, do you have any other plugs you want to drop? We kind of like the last little bit kind of was plugs, but a little bit like an informal version of plugs, if you will. So I don't know if you want to go. Yeah, more yeah.
1: Yeah. That's basically it. Other than that, uh, the only other thing I can tell people is check out saviagoras.com or salviagoras.com. That's where I, uh, you know, sort of update everything and keep my podcasts, and blog posts, and uh, I, I sell t-shirts and all stuff. So uh, check out saviagoras.com also
0: cool uh yeah um I'll do my plugs real quick uh, like like I always say uh, we'll put all his – you just send me when you get a chance send me your stuff and we'll I'll throw it in, uh, throw it in the video description but my stuff and your stuff put it all in the video description uh, uh, just recently I added uh, I'm on a podcast audio podcast now just this show the the no way Jose I uh, wasn't able to really figure out how to do the other shows uh, we also on the Liberty movement YouTube channel we we added the last nighters who they have their own YouTube channel as well go check them out. Um, you will if you go to, go to subscribe to them instead of just, you know, following them on this channel, you'll be able to get like more like up to date content. Cause we don't, we like wait about a week before we upload their stuff. That way we're you not, know, we're not jacking their new, jacking their new stuff. And uh, also they have like a huge library of shit. They do, uh, they do, uh, reviews of movies kind of from a, a libertarian perspective. They also have the actual anarchy one where they go more deep into the libertarian perspective, And they kind of like, you know, they go more political. Essentially, the idea is the last nighters is supposed to be be more like suited for normies. Essentially, if you want to be able to share that to your normie friends and kind of be like, hey, uh, you know, here's this movie I know you like, you know, here's a review of it. And they kind of drop little subtle hints of uh, you know libertarianism in there. Uh, We also got the Liberty Movement Facebook group. We're on MeWe now. Um, the, the YouTube, we also got our YouTube set up on library, bit shoot. We also got the email, the Liberty movement, global at Uh, we're also, you know, if you're hearing this right now, send me an email. We're trying to set up an email list. So every email we get, we throw in the email list. Uh, we need to get it more official and stuff like an actual like email list thing, but we're, I'm kind of a tech idiot. So, you know, I'm working with what we got. Uh, so send it to me. Uh, we're trying to get here. We're trying to collect all the emails we can, and we're going to set up a website here soon and, or. A newsletter, you know, that's something we've been trying to work on for a while. We also got the merch. Uh, you know, you've seen me drinking that cup. I also mentioned uh, to Sal that we have the Florida chapter ones. We have all sorts of stuff that'll be in the bottom in the video description. All the merch. So, like I said, they have the chapters there too. So they're the Florida flag with the end cap thing behind it. Uh, yeah, like, share, subscribe, comment, do all that good shit. Uh, and with that, Deuce, it's been great having you, May, uh, Mayweather. What I just call calling you, Mayweather, Sal. Fucking weird, but. <laughs>
1: No worries, brother. No, thanks yeah. for having me. And I appreciate it. And hey man, I had a blast. Let's do this again.
0: Yeah, no, I really had a fun time. And then the, the idea of this episode was that we could set the groundwork for later later talks. So because I could Absolutely. see especially when I'm a tech idiot. I kind of was like, I see possibility of a lot of episodes here. <laughs> so how, well, how do I yeah. open Excel? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not that hopefully bad, sooner than
1: later. Hopefully <laughs> sooner than later we can we can do it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely I almost was tempted because I want to do one on crypto because I still haven't even gone into crypto, which is like a shame because it's like everything about crypto is like right up my alley. But it's just the tech thing that's like, I don't fucking know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've heard Why it. Really I'm here. I'm here, brother?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I figured we'd probably maybe here soon probably do like a crypto for dummies episode. And by dummies, I mean me. <laughs>
1: Shoot me a DM, yes. Yeah. Shoot me a DM and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it down.
0: Yeah. All right, I'll let you go, man. This has been really fun. <laughs> All right. We'll Thank you, brother. All right, we'll see you, man. Bye.